Amen. You guys show some love for the uh, band this morning. Very cool. Good, good. Hey, uh, my name is Quentin. I'm one of the pastors here. And today I have the uh, great opportunity just to talk with you for a little while. Um, so typically, uh, Pastor Brian, our teaching pastor, would be up here. Um, but you're fortunate enough to hear me today. So, uh, so anyway, thank you for that. Does, uh, does anybody here love, love some Pastor Brian? Anybody? Anybody? All right, good. Brian, your family loves you, bro. All right, so that's good. So uh, today we're, we're uh, in week three, as Jonah said earlier, we're, we are in week three of this really cool series that we're in right now called Chasing Daylight, and it's really a book study uh, more than anything. So uh, if you're in a connect group, I know that you know about this book, and I know that you're reading through it. If you're not in a connect group, you've heard about this for a couple weeks, we have some of these at the Hub, you're welcome to go check those out. Um, but it's a book study, so we're, we're starting chapter three today, and, uh, and let me kind of give you a recap of what some stuff has has been like. Um, you'll, um, you'll remember from the life of this guy named Jonathan uh, that Jonathan took some initiative, we learned last week. You see, God had called uh, Saul to go into battle, and Saul tried to go into battle, but he couldn't go into battle because he was a little bit scared, so he just kind of set up tent. And uh, then Jonathan says, you know what, if Saul's not going to do this, then I'm going to do this. So Jonathan goes, and he starts this war. And uh, so God kind of praises him for that. We see that in Scripture. We see that through the book um, by Irving McManus as well. And then um, last week we, we saw this Scripture, and I'm going to read it and just kind of highlight where we're going today, all right, so you can track along with me. First Samuel 14, 6. First Samuel 14, 6 says this, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or few. Today, I want to highlight, I want to focus just on this portion of Scripture, okay? It may be that the Lord will work for us. It sounds like, Jonathan had a little bit of uncertainty. I don't know if you guys ever faced uncertainty. I don't know if, uh, well, actually, I do know. We all face uncertainty. We all have this, this thing that we're going to, this thing that we think about, and we're just uncertain of the future. That's where Jonathan was. That's where Jonathan was with this idea that he was going to go to battle. He said, maybe, just maybe, that the Lord will work for us. In the book by Erwin McManus, he says this, and there's a quote on the screen. It says this. I'm going to need another microphone, please. Um, it says this. Jonathan's focus was not, Jonathan's focus was not, what is God's will for my life, but how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? You guys got that? If you're taking notes, it's on page 66. You guys check that out on page 66. Jonathan's focus was not, what is God's will for my life, but how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? There's a stark contrast there from how a lot of times we approach life. As I said, I know that we have uncertainties. Some uncertainties now. Anybody uncertain about the, uh, the President of the United States this election? Anybody uncertain about that? Anybody? Anybody? I guess the laughs mean yes because you, uh, I guess the laughs mean, mean yes. Thanks, sir. Very good. Now y'all can hear me really, really well. All right. 
They'll get that figured out. So anybody uncertain about this, uh, this whole idea of the election coming up, right? No matter what side of the line, the aisle that you're on, you're convinced that if the other side wins, the world's going to come to an end, right? Right? I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that if the other side wins, the world's going to come to an end. I'm uncertain. I just don't know what is to come. Sometimes, I know for my family, we were uncertain about this idea of planning to have kids. Anybody been there? Anybody there? Like, I don't know where that's going to happen. How is this going to happen? Sometimes we're worried about childbearing. More women than guys. Guys like, whatever. All right? Sometimes we're worried about child rearing. Anybody worried about how you're going to raise your kid and how they're going to turn out? I know I try to beat mine every day, but I'm still scared. Still scared that they're not going to turn out right. We have these uncertainties. What about the uncertainty of how your marriage is currently or how your marriage is going to turn out? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Please don't raise your hand. Uh, We're uncertain about death. You ever wonder when that time's going to come and (laughs) what it's going to look like? How is it going to happen? McManus says this in his book. McManus says, death is... One of life's inescapable reminders that we live in a realm of uncertainty. Like, we know that we don't know. Something is going to happen. Or, or about the uncertainty of how counseling might happen. Some of you are just, just right on the edge of, of needing help, needing to talk to someone, but... You don't want to go to counseling because, you know, they're all crazy and they're going to tell you to do something that you really don't want to do. So you're uncertain about how that will turn out. The uncertainty of budgeting. Y'all all all got quiet. We're scared of budgeting because we're scared we're going to lose our freedom to spend money the way that we want to spend money. We're we're uncertain of what the outcome's going to be. Like, are you going to lock down my funds or make me start giving somewhere that I don't want to give? Or the uncertainty of connecting with a group of people at church or in small groups. Connect groups is what we call them here. We're uncertain about what that outcome will, will be like. We just don't know what the future is. All of these uncertainties or how we are now, we're talking about this idea in 2016 to be the kingdom to be the kingdom and we're uncertain about even what that means you know if i'm if i'm supposed to be the kingdom as a christian and a follower of christ if i'm supposed to be like that guy and what is that going to mean for my life my lifestyle my preferences my attitude like just uncertain about how that's going to play out in our lives We all have uncertainties. Some minor, like I'm not certain what I'm going to have for lunch today. Anybody know what you're having for lunch today? Raise your hand. Good, I'm coming to your house. We're uncertain about small things and major things. But nonetheless, uncertainty faces us. Just as it did with Jonathan. McManus As I said earlier, I quoted McManus to say this, and this is really kind of the point for today. And if you didn't write it down the first time, I want you to write it down this time. Write this down. You'll see it up on your screen. Write this down. Not what is God's will for my life. 
not what is God's will for my life, but how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? Today we're going to talk about how to overcome this fear, this anxiety over uncertainty. And that's the key to it. The key is stop wondering about what God's will is for my life because reality is we all know that we have a calling on our life. We all know deep down, you might suppress it, but we all know that we have a calling in our life that God wants us to do something great for him. We, we have to know that. It's a, a thing that I would argue that is in our deep conscience and we can't argue uh, it out of our lives. It's going to be there. We know that we're supposed to be doing something for God. We talked about that in week one. We know that we're supposed to be taking that step of faith and just just walking this walk. We know that. We learned that in week two. And today, we're going to talk about being faced with this uncertainty of not knowing what the outcome is going to be. But the key to unlock that is what I just asked you to write down. And that is not what is God's will for my life, but how can we give our life to fulfill God's will? We already know God's will. McManus, uh, in chapter 3, McManus lists several accounts uh, through the Old Testament, even some from New Testament, about these, uh, these events in the scriptures of guys, of friends, uh, time and time again facing uncertainties. And I was pleasantly uh, surprised to see that he lists, and he started talking about um, my favorite account in all of Scripture, and that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So since, Edwin, uh, since McManus used this, then I will use the same illustration. But I'm going to read it. Um, I'm going to read a portion of the book to you, uh, just so we can uh, recap the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? Um, this is what McManus says. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they were contemporaries of Daniel. They, too, were selected to serve as, king, as advisors to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Though they served him well, they infuriated the king when they refused to bow down to the God that he created. The king gave them the choice to either bow before his idol or be thrown into a blazing furnace. All three of them chose the fire. All three of them chose the fire. So since they chose the fire, they, they refused to bow. They refused to do what, God, uh, what Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do. So that really made Nebuchadnezzar mad. So Nebuchadnezzar, he heated the fire up seven times hotter than it was originally. Nebuchadnezzar brought soldiers together, his strongest men. And they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together, their hands behind their back. They opened this door to the furnace. The furnace was so hot that it killed the soldiers, just knocked them over dead. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up going into the fiery furnace anyway. And there they were, sure to burn and sure to die for their disobedience to Nebuchadnezzar, but following their allegiance and their obedience to God. Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been in there for some time. And Nebuchadnezzar noticed that there weren't just the three that were thrown in, but now there was a fourth figure standing. A fourth figure standing in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar says, 
That looks like it could be a son of a god. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the fire and tell me about your god. Man, I love that story. That's awesome. That's incredible. My favorite part of the story is that, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they went to the fire, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going in. Uh, we're, we're, we're not bowing down to your idols. We'll go in the fire. This is what they said. Daniel 3.16. The story really starts in 17, but I know John 3.16 is really famous, so I'll go to 3.16 and Daniel. That way I can remember it, all right? Daniel 3.16, 17 and 18. Daniel 3.16, 17 and 18. It says this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18. This sounds a lot like what Jonathan said. Verse 18. But if not, but if not, you see, there's a couple of things that irritate me about the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And one of them is that we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. They're going to follow God's, God's uh, uh, ordainment on their life to follow him, be obedient. And they get thrown in this fire. But we miss the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were uncertain about their future. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had no idea what was going to happen. For all that they knew, they were getting ready to get burned up in a fire. So the the, the issue that I have when when I recount this story over and over is that we know how it ends. So for us, there is no uncertainty because we know that what happens before, what happens during, and what happens after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just come out scot-free. Scripture even tells us they come out not smelling like smoke. Nothing, Nothing is singed on them at all other than the binding with their hands. They came out with their hands free. They, they came out perfect. But I, I know that my life doesn't always do that. I know that in my life, that every situation that I face, every time there's uncertainty in my life, one, it's uncertainty because I don't know the future. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. And then when I get on the other side of whatever that might be, when I get on the other side of that, It's not always coming out smelling like a bed of roses. So knowing this about how we feel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, hey, this is a great, this is a great account. This is awesome. I I enjoy this. I'm glad they came out scot-free. That's awesome. But, but there's got to be some stories and accounts where folks just didn't, just didn't come out all that well. Because that's the story of some of my life. Here's what McManus says about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. McManus says this, They step out of the fire. Though they were out of danger, they were more dangerous than ever. The door that we fear going through the most may be the very one where we, where we will meet God most profoundly. Whatever it is that you're looking at, that calling in your life, that struggle, that uncertainty, just know 
just know that when you walk through that, there is uncertainty, and it's not always going to turn out like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It might turn out like some other guys in Scripture. McManus says this, You have no control over when you die, most often how you die. But you do have control over how you live. We have to get to this point. I was talking to my wife, Marie, about the message. We were talking through this. And I believe that we have to get to this point in our Christian walk that we're, we're willing to understand what McManus is saying here and understanding that life is very important, but following God is more important. We have to get to the point to where we're willing to lose everything, including our life, our health, our finances, our possessions, our reputation. We have to get to the point to where we're willing to lose all of that stuff so that God is the most important thing in our lives. We have to get to the point to where when we're facing this fire, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, we have to get to the point where we're facing that fire, we're like, look, obeying God's call and will in my life is more, more important than my life. It's a hard thing to do. But what I enjoyed so much about chapter 3 in this book is that McManus was able, McManus was able uh, he was able to help me think through this whole Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing where everything turned out okay and then bring some balance to that and share some accounts where things didn't turn out okay. He mentions Hebrews chapter 11 and, and I'm not going to read that right now, but in Hebrews chapter 11 there are several uh, folks throughout scripture that they died. They were martyrs. They died for what they believed in. And not only in Hebrews chapter 11, but throughout scripture you can find folks like Abel and Andrew, uh, David, James, John the Baptist was beheaded, Paul, Samuel, Samson. All these guys, they did exactly what God wanted them to do and it led them straight to death. Not quite the same victory that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. There's one more person that did exactly what God wanted him to do and it led him straight to death. And that's Jesus. That kind of rocked my world when I read through that over the last couple weeks. See, we have a tendency to, to hyper-spiritualize the man of Jesus. I don't want to take anything away from him from being God, because he is. But we also have to look at him as being completely human. And I believe that as Jesus was human, he was born, he was raised, he grew, he matured, he taught, he changed people's lives. He was a man that was an amazing man, but he was a man on a mission to do what God had called him to do with his life. And what that did in the 33 years of Jesus' life was that it led him straight to the cross, straight to death. We look at Jesus and we see that Jesus did as God had told him to do. 
I find this verse in Luke twenty two forty two, all telling of the humanity of Jesus and following, trying his best to follow God's will for his life. Luke twenty two forty two says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He was facing death. He was getting ready to be crucified. He knew that. And Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. At what point in our life can we say, you know what, God? I'm not, not too certain about what's going to happen next. God, you're calling me to do X, whatever it might be. God, I, I know that's, that's my passion. My passions are telling me to go that way. God, you created my passions. I know that if I'm seeking your will, I know your will because these are my passions. This is where I need to go. And so, God, I, I need to go there, but I'm scared because I don't know what's going to come. God, I, I hope that it comes out just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But, God, if it doesn't turn out that well, God, will you... Will you still do great things even though it might cause me to suffer great loss? That's where Jesus is in Luke 22. And God, I, I don't want this to happen, but if it has to happen, God, I want your will to be done over my will. McManus says, If the cross teaches us anything... It teaches us that sometimes God comes through even after we've been killed. Even after we've been ruined. Can you think with me just for a moment about the church that we are part of right now? The church that came before us. The churches that came after Jesus' death. You see, Jesus died. And great things happened after that. One of the greatest things is that he actually came back to life. He came back to life, and now great things can happen because he once died. We can all have this new life. We can all have this new mission of a church. We can all have this calling in our life to go and connect our city with the Savior. We can have this calling in our life that we want every man, woman, and child to have repeated opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. All of that happened, but Jesus had to die first. So, for your life and for my life, when can we get to the point to where we're saying, you know what, God, sure, I would prefer Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story, but I would also be perfectly fine with Jesus' story as well. I would be perfectly fine with God. Whatever calling you have in my life, that's cool. I know it. I'm going because I want to do your will regardless of what it means for me, because greater things could happen even in my great, great demise. As I said, Hebrews tells us of all these great men, and I added Jesus to that list, as did McManus. Look what the writer of Hebrews says, about all of these people that didn't turn out quite like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40. The writer says, Not all of these people 
even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands um, on what was promised. God had a better plan for us. That their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. We have to think a little bit bigger than ourselves. I thank God for the guys that have uh, that were martyrs in Scripture, for us to be able to stand bold today and try to win our city for the Savior. I thank God for the sacrifice that Jesus made so that I can stand here today knowing that I'm going to have an eternal relationship with my God, my Creator, because Jesus paid a sacrifice that I could never pay. I thank God for standing on the shoulders of those giants, if you will. I thank God that we're able, we're able to look at their sacrifices and apply them to our lives so that our lives can be greater still. But yet, even though our lives can be greater still, we should still understand that, hey, whatever it is God's calling you to, that might kill you. But that's okay. Because God has great work in store, nonetheless, based on your faithfulness. As I'm reading through McManus's book, chapter 3, I underline a lot of stuff. Every now and then, I'll just star something, something that just really just jumps out. And this is, this is what I starred on page 69. If you want to take notes, it's on 69. You guys can go back and read this for yourself. About you, individually, and about me, individually, McManus says this. When you move with God... He always shows up. It's just difficult to predict what he will do or how he'll do it. If you wait for guarantees, the only thing that will be guaranteed is that you will miss endless divine opportunities. That you can know for certain. Based on chapter 3, based on some scripture study that, that I was able to do, some, some learning through this and, and gelling together Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's success and the not-so-successful success story of Jesus and looking at my life, I'm just here to, to share one thing with you today. And that is this. How can I give my life to fulfill God's will? How can I give my life to fulfill God's will? How can you give your life to fulfill God's will, even and because of uncertainty? You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But the only thing that really matters is that God knows what's going to happen, and God's going to take care of us regardless Now, the way God takes care of us might be different for each of us in each different situation. We might have to lose something. We might have to lose everything. Or we might just come out looking like a champ. Who knows? But we have to ask ourselves this one question. How can I give my life to fulfill God's will? 
Now imagine with me just for a moment. You, personally, just, just you right now. What would your life look like? What would your life look like? If you answered this question, how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? What if you answered that question and you did whatever in order to follow God's will? What would that look like? What would it look like in your life if you didn't let uncertainties ruin your potential? What would it look like? Would you have a different job? Would you tell more people about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Would you begin working on your marriage? Would you treat your kids any differently? What would you do to fulfill God's will if you didn't worry about uncertainties. Now this week in small groups and connect groups, we are we're going to be looking deeper at this question. And in my connect group, I know that I'll I'll take it a little further. And I'll I'll take my imagination a little further. And I'll say, not only imagine what it would look like for your life if you did whatever so that you could follow God's will, but what would it look like if this group of people right here What if we all, none of us, what if, that didn't make any sense, all, none of us. What if all of us decided that we're going to give our life regardless to God's will? Not only would your family change, but our community would change. When we were able to stand up as bold as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as bold as Jesus is, as bold as the other guys that are mentioned in Hebrew chapter 11, when we were able to stand up with boldness and say, God, no matter what the outcome is, I am going to do what your will is and no longer standing on the sidelines. Can you imagine the change in our world because there are Christians that aren't scared anymore? A world where Christians are going to stand up and do what God has called them to do, maybe for the first time ever, the possibilities and the potential is endless. It's endless. So I challenge you today, think through individually, how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? Will you pray with me? God, today, basically just looking at two different accounts, two different outcomes, And understanding, realizing that, God, the call you have on our life, we don't know what that's going to turn out to be like. There's uncertainty. But in uncertainty, God, lives potential, lives obedience. So, God, would you allow us to be an obedient people today? God, today, would you allow us to deal with this question? How can my life fulfill God's will rather than, God, I want what I want? 
God, I do know this, that in 2016, our church is on mission to be the kingdom. The kingdom that, that you have set up here on this earth to go and serve, to go and share your story, to go be the hope and the light of the world. God, you've called this church to do that. And today, God, I pray that you'll begin doing that or continue to do that through answering this question. God, how would you use my life to, to fulfill your will, period, regardless of the outcome, regardless of uncertainties? So God, today, as we... As we begin to sing together about your church, us. About your kingdom, us. Allow us not to be scared of uncertainties. Because you are God who is worthy of all praise, regardless of the outcome. Give us boldness today, God. God, we're going to love you. God, we're going to praise you. God, we expect you to use us, your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.